off the ball football. He was lumpy, wasn't he? But how he moved with the ball for someone of that size. Zidane could dance with the ball. Yeah. Could dance with the ball and drop his shoulder. Join in the obsession. Subscribe now at offtheball.com forward slash join. The F1 pod on Off the Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One? Yeah, we go to town on it. Okay, you're very welcome back to the F1 pod on Off the Ball, available weekly on Wednesdays after F1 race weekends in the F1 uh, pod podcast feed and the Off the Ball daily podcast feed as well. Wherever you get your podcasts, the F1 pod on Off the Ball brought to you by Chicago Town Pizza, real takeout taste for less with Chicago Towns. Myself, Shane Hannon, with you as per usual this week. Keep your questions coming in on the Twitter at ShaneHannon01 uh, and comments and thoughts on the YouTube channel as well. Uh, delighted to welcome back for this week's episode. We have Bernie Collins, the F1 pundit and former strategy engineer who was most recently head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team. And for a first appearance, Nadia El travel and lifestyle influencer and F1 fanatic as well. Bernie and Nadia, how are things? Yeah, good, Great. thank you, Shane. Yeah, welcome, welcome aboard, Nadia, to the, the first episode. You, you're a, you're an admirer of Bernie's work from a distance, I think, as well, as, as we all are on television these days. Yeah, I really am. And Bernie, look, every weekend that you're there with Sky, you can just see the feedback from everybody is saying that that's what was missing before. And I'm a new fan, so I am learning loads from your insights. But I think it's old fans as well that just didn't understand all of those. You really break it down very easily for us to understand um, all of the strategy stuff. And I know that you you always kind of give the disclaimer of oh, tire chat can be boring, but not with the last race weekend anyway. I have to do the disclaimer because the guy I can see the guys in the commentary box just like their eyes rolling over when I do it. I don't think it's boring. But thank you for the support. Like the support from home in particular has been great. You know, you get messages every weekend and it's um yeah, really positive to see. So long may I continue. Uh, what's your what's your um race going schedule like Nadia? Do you get to many Formula One races? Is it a case of watching on TV or what's your what's your fandom been like? What's the story of your fandom? I made it to my first track, um, Silverstone, this year, and I just went for the Friday. And I'm going to be honest with you, it was so overwhelming that I left on Friday and didn't go back. I just wanted to watch it on TV. So I only started watching last year, and I just love my race weekends at home, being able to hear the commentary and, and watch every part of it. Like, if I'm at home, I will watch every part of practice and the whole the whole nine yards. I actually missed Ted's notebook this week. Hopefully he's back soon. Um, but yeah, I, I'm thinking of going to Kota, so something a little different, but um, I, I love watching it. It's the first question everybody asks me, have you been or are you going to Monaco? But I don't know, I'd like to be able to, I, I'd ha- definitely have to watch the race again if I was there live. Yeah, it's a fair point. I think you, you've mentioned Kota, haven't you, before, Bernie, as one of the, I think you said it, it's it's one of the good ones in terms of the, the social life, I guess, in Austin as well. Yeah, Austin's a really interesting city. Like, it's, it, it's it's an interesting one in that it's a little bit out of the centre of the city, so there's a bit of like transport back and forth, but they sort of do a big concert at the track and things. I sort of agree with Nadia saying, like whenever I've been to a race or stood in the grandstand, sometimes you feel a little bit disjointed from what's happening, so you need to be, I felt a bit careful that you're opposite a screen or opposite the pit lane or something so that you can at least get more of a feel of what's going on, or it's a bit like... I guess we all have experience in our own lives of, for me, it's been sat in football stadiums where you've got, you know, the older guy sat next to you with his radio, but he actually knows what's going on. So everyone's asking him what's, you know, happening. So I do think it's one of those things where, yeah, it's sort of the right setup, but you struggle to get 
network for your phone to do your timing up or whatever it might be. But um, there's a different experience in terms of hearing the cars and getting the atmosphere. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's probably it's probably a victim of its own success, Formula One, in some ways, because it's been such a, a good sport to watch on TV, and the TV coverage is, is so excellent, and the punditry is excellent, and the even the you know the ability to hear the car radios, I guess Nadia as well, me, means that when people go to a natural track, sometimes they're like, oh Jesus, I I'm not getting all the the coverage that I usually get at home. Yeah, well, my friend was there th- this weekend, and I was kind of filling her in and what was going on. You know, <laughs> she was going. During the red flag, are we are we starting back again? Or you know, I was actually able to tell her faster than she was getting the information at the track. It's mad. It's crazy, and and, and I can understand the Silverstone thing as well. I've never been, but I remember it was it John Watson was on one of one of the episodes with us recently, and he was basically describing it as a as a, as a festival. You know, it's it's essentially a a festival with a with a race going on around it. So it's one of those race weekends that I can imagine overwhelming is probably a good word to use, Nadia. Yeah, and also the the weather, you know, oh, this course. weekend this weekend didn't look like the one that you want to be sitting in the grandstands. But those Dutch fans, you know, they were just dancing and happy and smiling the whole weekend, weren't they? <laughs> well, this weekend's a different, a difficult one because um, my other half was actually in the grandstand for a lot of it. But there was a lot of photos of some very wet-looking lads trying to do their best to stay dry. Um, but I think the atmosphere, you know, was really incredible. And then I think. You know, post that has been a difficult weekend because with all of the flight chaos in the UK, it's been quite difficult to get mm. home. So I think there's a few that are reevaluating what they've done this weekend. Yeah, a few, a few sorry heads in airports, I'd imagine, uh, across the continent trying to trying to get home after all of that chaos. Um, it, it's one of those places, Anvort, Bernie. Is it enjoyable to to prep for as a as a race strategist, or is it kind of one of those unpredictable places? It's a very difficult weekend. I think this weekend in particular was very difficult from a strategy side because of the changeable weather conditions. We've had two years at Zandvoort. It's been sunny the whole time. So we had a sunny Friday and then into Saturday and Sunday. A few big difficulties being it's a very short track, so things happen very, very quickly. So even in the dry, you're making decisions very quickly in qualifying, like we've seen some some um, blocking incidents. You're trying to get on top of the traffic very quickly trying to give the driver information in a very short period of time so it's very hectic from that side even if it's dry and then if it's wet you've got added this element of um the rain was predominantly coming across the sea which is a bit harder to predict because it's just not as clear on the satellite images and often it was just missing the track because of the wind conditions so i think it was a really difficult one to make calls from the pit from the pit wall until saturday they'd not had any wet wet running at zandvoort so they never had the crossover conditions, even into Sunday, we'd never went from inter to dry. So there's a lot of data they didn't really have that you're making up on the fly, which is, I think, why some people got caught out on the switch between inter to dry coming a bit earlier than than what people pit stopped. Like I think the guys that stopped first, Alonso, was really, really quick versus the Verstappen and the powers of the world. And that, I think, caught a little people out how quickly it went to that dry condition. Crazy. Um, I, I've almost found um at the start of these episodes every week, Nadia trying to find a new way to talk about Max Verstappen winning a race, um, which which can get quite quite difficult. And look, those Dutch fans, I'm sure at Sandford were absolutely buzzing at the weekend, regardless of the of the weather. But um, I guess he's now equaled this all time record of nine victories in a row, eleventh win of the season, uh, hundred and thirty eight points is his championship lead now over second place. So, I mean, the the drivers' championship is all but done. Um. I mean, what more can we say about this guy? He is, in fairness to him, unbelievable. Yeah, well, I'm a Max fan. So to me, it's not boring. And, you know, because I'm a new fan as well, like 
I found this difficult getting into this sport, listening to people week in and week out saying, oh, boring race, boring race. Obviously, you couldn't say about this weekend, but um, I still, I'm, I'm brand new, so I'm passionate about it all. But the thing I find with Max is he says he's not interested in the records, but when he got out of the car, he was still making the nine with his fingers. Like he's obviously very aware of it. Um, but I don't know if that's just his character. Is he trying to be a little bit contrary? Maybe because Lewis is so, you know, um, like um, the the records seem to be so important for Lewis. So maybe that's why Max is saying he's not. Obviously, it's it's got to mean something to him, especially winning at home as well. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's just a track, Bernie. He he absolutely loves. Like we'd love that some stage to see a different winner other than Max <laughs> at Zandvoort. But I mean, um, there was there was interesting comments from Fernando Alonso even after the race where he's saying he actually is underrated as a driver, which sounds mad for someone who's just won a, uh, you know, you know, so many races in a row. But does he have a point there, Alonso? Yeah, I think it's really difficult because. At the minute, we're all saying, or a lot of people are saying, Chaco's underperforming in the car relative to Max. But is it that Max is overperforming relative to the car? So we, you know, we're like putting a third driver in there. We don't know the answer to that at this stage. We can't say for definite. And even to put a third driver in would be really difficult because they'd need time to get up to speed and all this sort of thing. But you've only got this compare and it's oh, it's been sold as, oh, how is Chaco doing such a poor job? But actually, is it that Max is doing this really you know, phenomenal job. We know Max is very fast and qualified and that's been proven time and time again, relentlessly. But his race craft is also, you know, really improving from a few years ago, the level head on the shoulders. So it is, this is the problem, one of the things with F1, it's not a problem, but we don't have like for like for compares. You don't have, it's very difficult to get a good read on a really good driver versus a really good car, all these sorts of things. Like, any of the drivers down the field in, in lower cars, like you know, a lot of talk about Piastri. We it's very hard to to cut through all of that. Max to do the job he done at home with the pressure, and people sort of play down the pressure, but from even from an engineering side, it is phenomenal. You get more marketing commitments, more demands on his time, more distractions. So to keep the level head and just get the job done, qualifying was very, very difficult. I came down to one lap at the end to nail it. There was no run up to it. There was no introduction through the day. It was one lap at the end, maximum pressure, let's go. And he absolutely nailed that lap. And that is phenomenal from a driver, in my opinion, with all of the distraction. It's interesting. I think drivers often come out and say, oh, I don't care about that or that doesn't bother me or I'm not thinking about that. They are. Chaco's thinking about if the seat's safe 100%. That's happening up and down the field where drivers are saying one thing but really thinking another um, because that's the game. That's the marketing game we play. And, you know, maybe Nadia's right a bit of it's a bit of, Lewis, I don't care about this, but we know you do type thing. Yeah, he seems to be so so blasé about it in words and in press conferences for sure. Like, is there a is there a massive gap between himself and Checo Perez? Like, Checo is obviously an unbelievable driver, Bernie, but uh, and someone you you'd have worked with. But uh, yeah, that's that's always the, the the I guess accusation put to him that he's in the same car, uh, so to speak, as as Max Verstappen, and like, yet the gap is so huge. I think the gap in qualifying, I think it was one point three seconds, sits very badly on paper. I think that to get that one lap, to get your braking zone, that's always going to be difficult. And that is going to differentiate a lot of drivers. Checo's never been a strong qualifier. 
he's always needed to build up to that final lap and qualify. And so this was in his, not in his mind, he knew it was the final lap, but this is more of in his build stage of qualifying than the final lap, whereas Max can just do the lap instantly and doesn't need the laps before. Check the qualifying would have been a lot closer between the two, in my opinion, had it not been just one single lap on paper. Um, and drivers of different strengths and weaknesses for sure. So I think he's still, or he's had a few bad races. He's back to the stage of performing reasonably well in that car. He should have been on the podium bar for the, the Pitlian speed and instant. He did very well in terms of the calls to get onto the inters and, and going forward from that. So I think it was a strong weekend for him. It just doesn't show as well on the paper as it did, you know, in real life. Um, like I guess Natty, the one thing is it highlights that that Sebastian Vettel record from from twenty thirteen, uh, which has stood since then. These number of race wins in a row, like allows us to talk about Vettel a little bit again and and kind of uh, rave about his achievements because you probably appreciate them more now than than at the time because clearly it's it's taken a decade to to break that record and stands testament to what Sebastian uh, Vettel achieved. Yeah, especially with more races now and the car being more reliable and everything. So his nine probably is worth a lot more than than Max's nine at the moment. But let's see what Max goes on to do. He could win the whole rest of the season. He could <laughs> wipe the floor. Or what about the Monza curse? Maybe maybe his reign ends next week. I wonder that is that is that a case for for Max fans as well, Natty, like yourself, like that that possibility, which is a, a distinct possibility that Max wins every single race of this. Of this year, um, of this season, like is that is that what the fans want? Do they want a complete clean sweep, or is it a case that a lot of Max fans now want a little bit, maybe more competition? Because that Lewis Hamilton year, where it went down to the final race, was was unbelievable. I think we'd like to see a bit more racing. So, um, whether that's with his teammate or if it's Lando or Alonso, I think, especially like you said, Alonso giving Max the compliment there, it would be great to see those two racing. It would be great to see Alonso get a win this season. Um, and then I'd like to see if their friendship dynamic changes or same with Lando, you know. So, um, no, we would. I think any any F1 fan would like to see a bit more racing. Hey, Bernie, I know you were you were uh, keen to highlight the, the the swing in fortunes for for Pierre Gasly and, and his team. Because um, we were just talking about them on, on recent episodes and, and the, the turnaround has been quite dramatic. Yeah, I think when you think that that team sacked for want of a better word number of people on the pit wall at the end of or just before the shutdown so at the you know Budapest Spa weekend and then to go on to have a podium this weekend a lot of things fell their way but I I, you know I don't know Gasly on a personal level but there have been a number of times where Gasly has made some really strong strategy decisions that I think have really stood well and this weekend was one of them in terms of the first call to move to intermediate really strong on that um, and then again later on in the race, I think the second call to move to intermediate again. So seemed to be two working really well together. The car is obviously there if they can get all the ducks in a row, so to speak, over race weekend. So a phenomenal result for that team. Now, that's not purely because of any changes on the pit wall in a one race. Nobody makes has that well. I don't think people have that much of an effect on, on what's happening. But it is interesting to see that the performance at times is there. And the team, the background team, is in a position to make the most of the opportunities that come their way. So it's going to be really interesting to see where that goes going forward. Yeah, and it's it's he's one of these drivers as well, Nadia, that that uh, a bit like Max drives on the limits, uh, which is, I mean, as a fan, brilliant to see. 
Um, and there's always these these little moments and incidents in races involving Gasly at the odd time, which like, I, I mean, highlights the need to be like that, be a, a little bit of aggressive uh, as a Formula One driver as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love his driving style. And I think a lot of people forgot this weekend. He also had the five second penalty. So mm. you just remember like crossing the line, they swapped him and Checo, but he served his five second penalty too. So they were kind of even. Um, but, you know, it was great to see him there. And obviously he was also third in the sprint uh, spa, I think it was, but he didn't get the podium for that. So it's it's really nice. And I think it definitely have to give the team a bit of a boost. But it, it's strange. It seems to be that they can, it's only one of them that's doing well, mm. Ocon or Gasly. And it kind of goes back and forth, but it's never the two at the same time. That's a strange one, isn't it, Bernie? Like Nadia brings up a good point. Like th- those, I guess, teams that can be a little, um, a little confusing at times, where where one driver does well, the other doesn't, and it seems to be a mix-up. Um, yeah, I, they can't seem to peak both at the same time. Well, yeah, and I think that's up and down the pit lane this week. That's very similar. So there's a lot of comparisons that are the same. So Gazi Ocon, um, Alonso and Lance Stroll. Um, the two Mercedes drivers, different fortunes as well. So, and a lot of it came down through that first pit stop, whether the driver or the team was brave enough to pit lap one or ended up waiting a few laps. You know, the Alonso Stroll example is quite striking. I think Alonso was one of the first people to pit onto the intermediate, Stroll one of the last. And actually, the timing of uh, Stroll's one was really poor in that they'd done a number of laps on the wrong tyre, then aborted to the right tyre way too late. Whereas the likes of Albon realised the decision was wrong, but sort of stuck with it and managed to come out the other side. So it's really, there seems to be a lot of, particularly in these changeable conditions, getting everyone onto the same page. And that relationship where the driver's able enough to speak up loudly enough for what he wants, what he feels on the track, and the team are fit to react well to that. So I don't know if that's an indication of a strong driver or a weak background team, but there was a number of decisions where, one side of the pit wall got it really right and one side of the pit wall got it really wrong. And given that the strategy teams are generally shared across both, then it's that relationship with the driver. And that caused a little bit of disharmony in within um, garages as well, Bernie, like, uh, you know, when, when one driver uh, is doing well, other isn't. Like, obviously, these things even themselves out over time, but, but can it create some disharmony? Oh, for sure, 100%. You know, um, Gasly will if you think of Alpine and Aston Martin, the whole garage is celebrating because their their bonuses, their championship points is all based on performance of either car. So the entire garage is, is celebrating. But there will be a number of people that are, you know, the core stroll group or the core um Ocon group that will be really disheartened with their race, how it ended up. You know, Ocon came out and said he was really upset they'd fitted the wet tire. So, you know, I had it myself in Monaco a few years ago when Teco got his podium we'd actually tried to make very similar decisions across the car, but it just didn't work out for Hulkenberg and he got stuck in traffic and he missed his podium. And we all know how keen Hulkenberg is for a podium. Mm -hmm. So you end up with this, even for myself, this split view that you're happy in one light, but sad in the other. So you're trying to be happy around some people and sad around other people. So it's really difficult dynamic. And it, it's really that few hours after the race are really difficult when you're in that sort of situation where you know potentially a different decision or even a, if you push Mock on more into following Gazi's strategy, even if Gazi called it, could you have a very different result for the team? Because it's really hard to have these two sides of the same story. 
Yeah, for sure. I think Alpine definitely, as you say, deserve the, the credit at least for, for getting the act together with Gasly and getting, getting that podium at the weekend. Amazing turnaround for them. Um, Fernando Alonso was someone, Nadia, we should give uh, credit to. I think we all love talking about Fernando Alonso uh, when when his name pops up. Um, a just unbelievable performance. And I think he described that that move on George Russell in lap one as, as overtake of the month. Um, <laughs> arguably, it could be overtake of the season for some for some people. Just it, It's reeling in the ears sort of stuff, isn't it? I love how he says that about himself as well. He's brilliant. <laughs> And he also said that he would have went for the overtake on Max at the end, but he was kind of joking that he wanted to be able to get out of the circuit, obviously, with all the Max fans there. Um, but it was great to see him get the fastest lap. And I don't know, did, did Max have anything to say about that? I, I didn't see anything afterwards. Um, but yeah, he certainly wouldn't have been happy about losing that one point. No, because he, he, he definitely seems like a, t- a type of driver who wants every single point, even though he's got that, as I said, 138-point lead. Is... Um... Is Fernando one of the drivers you would have been kind of admiring from a distance as well, Nadia? He, he seems to be one that even the the neutrals tend to gravitate towards. Yeah, and I think that's obviously he's an incredible driver, but I think it's his character too. I like that. I like that he looks like he's really enjoying himself. He looks like he's having fun. He he says he's in his peak now or his prime, and it sounds like it and it looks like it. And I, the only thing I'm get a bit annoyed with every race weekend is. They're always mentioning his age, and he's only what three or four years older than Lewis. Um, but you know, I think he's definitely quite and damn people who think he's he's getting getting on. No, he's he's fun to watch both in the car and outside. That, that that's a very interesting one, Nadia, as well. The fact that like we we've had this discussion and off the ball different times in terms of GA players, um, and even rugby players as well. Like when GA players reach reach thirty or thirty one, all of a sudden there seems to be the narrative. Uh, within the media or wherever else, and even among fans, that uh, you know, the, the word retirement comes up, and it's almost seen as a dirty word. We, we seem to retire our sports people quite, quite early or before their time. It probably is more even pertinent now in Formula One, where you see the likes of Alonso and Hamilton, you know, well into their thirties. Some could even do it in their forties and uh, and do it well. So is that is that an issue that we need to maybe be careful about retiring our our drivers from Formula One before their time? If he says he's he's able to do it and he's not showing any signs of slowing down, you know, then you've got to trust him and take his word for it. And like he's different to the next person. Maybe somebody will lose a bit of speed over time. But mm. yeah, why not? Like, I mean, people are living longer. People are healthier. People are fitter. So I don't think there's any reason why you wouldn't see them racing longer as well. Yeah, here, here. Let them at it. Um, that, that turn uh, three as well, Bernie, that... Um... Uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation Huggen Holtzbacht I think I did it okay there but uh, uh, the Dutch fans can let me know in the comments but it, it is an unbelievable corner in, in Formula 1 like that that's I, I'm sure anytime you go back to the Dutch Grand Prix it's just one of those corners that um, well everyone remembers and, and it's a tough one to plan for as well because anything can happen there yeah exactly we've seen a few instances there over the weekend um, with I think it was Piastri that that crashed there first and then followed by obviously Ricciardo with his unfortunate incident. But yeah, it's one of those corners that I didn't actually walk the track this year, but in previous years walking the crack is quite phenomenal. The the banking, how the corner is set up, it, it's really interesting. And it's what makes Sandvoort in a way unique is those types of corners, how the circuit flows, you know, there is a great flow to the track. It's not very stop start, you know like some of the other tracks we go to. Um, and it, at one point I was walking out of the paddock this weekend and I thought there aren't very many tracks in the world where the fans are stood on a sand dune to get a better view. 
So it points in sort of infield. There's like some sand dunes that a lot of the people with general admission were just stood up there trying to watch the track. I thought it's a pretty unusual site. So a lot of the the ups and downs are, are, are really interesting through that entire setup. That's an unbelievable opportunity, Bernie, as well to get. You know, whether it was as your time as a as a um, race strategist or even now in the media as well, like getting the chance to to walk the track. Yeah, like have there been any tracks that have really surprised you when you've actually walked them? That you know, the inclines, obviously, the inclines at Spa are, are famous or infamous. But have uh, have any track walks surprised you? I think the one you know, Spa, obviously, as you mentioned, people talk about a lot. I think the thing that surprised me at Spa is once you get up to the top of a rouge, it still keeps going. It's <laughs> still uphill all the way to that that next um straight. The one I think that's the most interesting is actually Brazil. Um. There's a lot of elevation change around Brazil, particularly sort of from the last corner up to the start finish straight. You can actually on the start finish straight see a lot of the circuit from one position. Um, there's a big change even between the pit lane and the grid. So there's quite a big step between the two of those. So it's one that I think doesn't come across on um, the track. Or I think maybe was it Porto Mayo we ended up going to last year. It's quite a big difference around the track there. So, I think Brazil's the standout one that you don't realise as much on the TV as you do when you're there in it. That would very much change your your experience, I guess, of of going to a race if you got the chance to walk it before, and it probably highlights even more so the, I guess the uh, the difficulties and the hills that they're undergoing. Yeah, you know that would be really cool. I did see. Um... I think it might have been Ant. He was going around the track with his phone with like a, a level to show you the incline. And like, that's great. When you see it up close like that, it was crazy because depending on what shot they're showing, you don't necessarily see that. But that's an incredible one. Yeah, what an experience. Uh, guys, I'm going to take a quick ad break. We'll be back with episode nine of the F1 pod and off the ball very shortly. We have Bernie Collins and Nadia el with me and we'll be back in just a second. Hello, Shane Hannon here, host of the F1 pod on Off The Ball, which is available every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into the episode proper, however, I did want to take a quick moment to mention our sponsors of the F1 pod, Chicago Town Pizza. And sure, when you're watching the Grand Prix action across the weekend, why not enjoy it with a pepperoni Chicago Town stuffed crust pizza? It's takeaway taste at home. It's the F1 pod from Off The Ball with thanks to Chicago Town Takeaway's unique fresh dough pizza. Yeah, we go to town on it. The F1 Pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One, yeah, we go to town on it. Okay, very welcome back to episode nine of the F1 Pod on Off The Ball, weekly between now and the end of the season on Wednesdays after race weekends, live on Wednesdays in the podcast feed, the F1 Pod podcast feed that is, and the Off The Ball daily podcast feed as well. Wherever you get your podcasts, we have Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy with the Aston Martin Formula One team, and Nadia El Ferdusi, the travel and lifestyle influencer and Formula One fan as well. Uh, so we've been kind of analysing and looking back at the Dutch Grand Prix last weekend. We'll take a look ahead to the uh, Italian Grand Prix as well. Um, I guess we should... Bernie, touch on Mercedes. Um, I mean, the rain seemed to probably hamper them the most of the Dutch Grand Prix and, and possibly the big losers of the day team-wise. Yeah, I think just not on top of the conditions is really the summary. I, It's interesting when you, the list comes up of what everyone's starting on and there's one person on something different. I've never sat on the pit wall and thought, oh, we nailed it, we're doing something different to everyone else. I've always sat on the pit wall and thought, what have we missed? Like, why are we the only person on this tyre? And I'm sure that felt the same, you know, although people were 
assuming they would survive the rain in the open instant, nobody was brave enough to fit the medium apart from Hamilton. And if you're trying to get through some wet conditions, that's not the tyre to be on. And even from Friday, the medium didn't look like a strong tyre anyway. So I'm not sure where that went wrong. I, I can get understand in a perfect dry race, maybe you want to run it a bit longer than someone else. But there's got to be a bit of a reaction of, oh God, we've done something different to absolutely everyone else. And then it just seemed to snowball from there. You know, the medium wasn't going to survive the wet. George stayed out too long. Then you try and recover by going onto the hard tyre and running long. It just seemed to get away from them. And I've, you know, I've had a Germany race where I've been in that example where decisions have gone wrong and you've gone further and further back. And then how do you recover from that? And yes, they did recover a little towards the end with the final opportunity to get onto Inters again. But yeah, it just, didn't seem to be a very smooth weekend in what I think the pace earlier in the weekend looked reasonably hopeful and the drivers sounded pretty hopeful. Yeah, it was a strange, strange weekend for them, strategy-wise, even as well. Like and, and Nadia, the the one thing that people point out, and I heard it mentioned across the weekend as well, is Lewis Hamilton's future with Mercedes. And it seems to be an ongoing situation. Uh find himself chasing uh Carlos Sainz for fifth, no way through, has to settle for sixth. Um, but no, no, no word yet on a on a a new deal for uh, Hamilton at Mercedes next year. Like, do you expect or, or reckon he'll stay put at Mercedes or look for a challenge elsewhere? It's hard to know where he'd go. Yeah, exactly. It is hard to know where he'd go. Um, the helmet Marco has already said it's not it's not Red Bull. Um, you know they don't want a challenger for Max anyway. Hmm. Um, but I think he'll. I think he's loyal. I think. I mean, I don't know him, but I think he'll stay. I think he wants that eighth. Um, but. Russell could be challenging him too if they get the car right. So it's, it's even if they get the car right next season or the year after, it's not you know it's not guaranteed. Um, all that's sticking out in my head from Russell at the weekend was I was forecast the podium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so he'll have competition there for sure. That's the thing, like Russell, um, like they've built up a nice little rapport the two of them there, and 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 the thing about George Russell, Nadia, is he he doesn't want to settle to be you know. Hamilton's number two driver or Mercedes number two driver. He very much seems to have the the necessary ego, I guess, to 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 battle Lewis and, and try and become the number one there. Yeah, I think so. And you know, like we were saying with Alonso and you know, not nearing retirement, I think Lewis would be the same. I think he he still has the hunger for it, I think. Um he doesn't seem to be slowing down. And I'd say he wants to see it through and, and see this Mercedes come back strong. He's got the like the young drivers, um, Bernie, like George Russell being one of them. That, but like even in qualifying, some impressive performances from from Lando Norris, uh, from from Alex Albon, and and I mean, Albon starts fourth, finishes eighth. We've talked about him a little bit on the podcast, but um, possibly driver of the weekend after Verstappen, maybe. Yeah, and Albon just seems to be getting stronger and stronger. You see, I seen him in the paddock a few times over the weekend. He looked so cool and in control, and like nothing was phasing him really. He always looks really happy. Like he just looks happy to be there. Um, but he did a really good job. Williams, you know, we've seen good performances on Friday. I think Williams did a good job with the car this weekend. It seemed like on Friday they'd ran lower fuel than others, um, higher engine mode, did their qualifying practice early in the weekend. Then others didn't get the qualifying practice in P3 with it being wet. So as a team, they really came together and got the right answers. And then Album was fit to make that happen, you know, on Saturday and qualifying. And then, you know, in a way, carry that carry that on through. But to get 
two of their drivers into Q3 is no mean feat, particularly with how tight the midfield is. So they look like a team on the up. And that turnaround seems to come reasonably quickly now. It's not to McLaren's degree, but there's improvements coming there. And Albon seems really comfortable in that team, really settled. I imagine it's a bit like any of the number one drivers within a team building the team around him, building the setup around him. Everything's moving forward together. You know, James Vole's there and I would be, be making his mark internally. So it's, yeah, it's really, looks really positive for them from, from where it was a few years ago. Yeah, because even the fact that they'd be disappointed with, with where Albon finished maybe highlights how, how far they've come. And, and even from a strategy perspective, Bernie, like to, to get 44 laps, I think it was, out of those um, those soft tyres, uh, quite a remarkable achievement for Albon because you, you can't uh, underestimate that. People always love when we talk about tyres, and I'm not even joking. Uh, I think the, <laughs> the tyre talk has become sexy in Formula 1 over the last number mm. of months. <laughs> well, it's the interesting thing is that like that is just a strength of that team adapting to what's going on because you've put on a soft tyre in wet conditions, so you have this very, very gentle introduction because you're not quite doing the lap time that you would be doing in qualifying or in normal race conditions. You're going a lot slower. There's a lot less energy. It's a lot you know, less harsh environment. So that's what leads to the tyre being able to extend. And Williams, you know, in Canada proved it as well. They're just on top of if they think that's possible and how long it's going to go, or at least prepared to give it a risk. It's it's interesting that, you know, this last weekend with the rain coming, every team was on top of that it was going to rain at the end of the race. I didn't see anyone get caught out by that. But very few were confident enough that the tyre could make it all the way there. Mm. Um, whereas Williams seemed to be, you know, more in tune with that. So it's it's really interesting for them. That's something, Nadia, that, you, that you've noticed as well, even about the, the Formula One coverage that, uh, it it needs people like Bernie as well to to explain these these things that that maybe we often talk and listen about some of the the wider range things the drivers and how they're feeling and and the the battles between team principles but some of the technical stuff maybe was was over our heads for a lot of the I guess weekend tune in Formula One fans but now it's kind of becoming a little bit more uh, easy to understand I guess yeah a hundred percent because when I started watching. After every single race, I would have a list of questions to Google and trying to find the answers to. But now I'm getting them from the commentary, genuinely. Um, actually, on that, I did have a question for you, Bernie, about the weather radar. Do all the teams get the same? Is it from F1, FIA? Because they seem to be interpreting it very differently. Yeah, so um, we can do just a load of questions. Um, they do all get the same. So they're all provided with Medio France, provided that it's that standard screen that you see on the commentary. But a lot of it comes down to interpretation. So Matthew of France will draw on a line of where they think the rain is flowing. But I used to spend days, and, you know, they got a lot of practice on Saturday, figuring out, well, when rain starts in this location, it tends to move north of the circuit. Or when rain starts in this location, it tends to hit the circuit. So it's not just something that you can pick up and it will give you the right answer. You need to be really aware of where you think the the general movement of rain goes, how you think it moves, it tends to build and change a little bit as well. So the more practice that you can get at it, the better. Um, being Irish, I've had a bit of practice at that. <laughs> but it is it is one of those things where it is possible to get the wrong answer. And it's always really unfortunate when you take a still shot of the radar afterwards, it's always clear what was going to happen then. 
but you're taking that in as an extra data source to all the stuff that you do on a standard weekend. So as well as the interpretation of it, it's having your team set up well enough that someone has the overhead to just monitor the radar, do the radar on a few other things, because often it gets left as an extra that nobody's really on top of and everyone's pretty overloaded in their standard weekend anyway. So this extra massive thing, you need to have a really good method of making sure three people aren't sort of watching it, but one person's watching it really closely. Yeah, 100%. It's such an important uh, aspect as well that maybe we don't think about too often looking from the outside in uh, or from the yeah, from the outside in. It's basically one of those things that uh, that uh, needs someone like yourself, Bernie, to explain to us, uh, us plebs, I think, uh, outside of the, the sport. You're being very harsh yourself there, I think. <laughs> I know, but it's fair, it's fair. The one man who... Um, will be disappointed to be missing the Italian Grand Prix no doubt is, is Daniel Ricciardo um, uh, this broken hand he sustained uh, in an accident at Zandvoort of course on Friday the second practice at that banked Hugenholtz corner uh, and Christian Horner said he had this operation on Sunday to insert screws into the bone uh, which all apparently went well and it's all about recovery um, again Nadia another man that that larger than life character and, and has brought that um, that appeal back to, to regular Formula 1 fans as well because he, he's been there done that he's won races uh, in the past so someone that uh, I guess the sport needs yeah I, I definitely think it's one of the reasons that Red Bull had him back as their reserve or third driver mm. um, because it, it seems everybody wants him around you know um, and yeah like from Drive to Survive obviously he was one of the, the biggest and the main characters it was so unlucky he'd just come back so I don't know what's going to happen now because Liam Lawson did pretty well, didn't he? And he, he beat Yuki and if Checo's not doing great, maybe they would be looking for him in Red Bull next year. So I feel bad for Daniel Ricciardo at the moment. But, you know, he's he's been to the same surgeon as Lance Stroll who was back racing so fast after both wrists. Um, so maybe a couple of weeks and he'll be fine. And no harm as well having a you know a driver from I guess a country that that can be underrepresented in New Zealand as well with with Liam Lawson Nadia like I guess it increases the the interest there as you say like comes in on Saturday finishes thirteenth on Sunday, um quite a remarkable achievement for someone who's just thrust into the whole thing. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the pressure and all of the like the conditions of this particular race weekend as well. He only had that one practice session, um but it was quite good to see. And now not great for for Charlotte Claire obviously and he had damage to the floor but he got an overtake on him <laughs> um obviously he lost the face back but you know he's got such an amazing record winning is it was it eight different series on, on debut he was never going to win this race but I think he can be pretty proud of that result 100% interesting to see what he does uh, at the Italian Grand Prix certainly this weekend it's funny because um, Bernie the, the BBC did a kind of piece where they were listing all the uh, Formula 1 driver injuries that, that have happened broken bones they say take about 6 weeks to heal um, but even at the start of the season you had Lance Stroll in the Bahrain Grand Prix 12 days after 4 fractures in his hands wrists and feet you had Alex Albon racing for Williams in Singapore 3 weeks after an operation to remove his appendix which seems extraordinary um, and even Fernando Alonso a couple of years ago as well takes part in pre-season testing just a month after he broke his jaw in that cycling accident. Um, like the recovery efforts of a Formula One drivers just seems remarkable. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's born out of a, there's this incredible pressure to do well, to beat the competition, in Ricardo's case, to not lose his seat. Mm. You know, if in four races time, Lawson looks pretty incredible, he lost us a lot going for him. He's a young driver, he can bring on the programme. There's, 
you know, more life in him if you think of it that way, which is a bit harsh. But that's that's what pe- that's how people think. That was the world. It's a very cutthroat industry. You can't miss four or five races in a year and expect your seat still to be there when you come back. Unfortunately, now this is really unfortunate because some of those incidents were extracurricular activities, which arguably the driver just had himself to blame. Ricardo was unfortunately caught up in a live racing incident that resulted in in this injury, and there's not a lot that Ricardo really could have really done to avoid it. Um, a lot of discussion of moving his hand off the steering wheel quicker or whatever, but that that's life, you know. It's not something that he's done dangerously outside the sport that's jeopardised his career. It's just a situation he's found himself in. But those guys will be very, very keen to try and get back as quickly as possible because the world doesn't stay stagnant for very long and things will move on and people will progress and everything will change. So he'll be really keen to get back as quickly as he possibly can. 100%. One team we haven't uh, we haven't mentioned to date, Nadia, is is Ferrari, and uh, again, it's just one of those, um, I suppose, interesting teams that that their their strategy certainly last year w- w- was coming into question for for a lot of races, and then we had the the pit stop mess that was uh, at the weekend, um, and Ferrari just seemed to be dropping into the pack a little bit. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I know that. Charles came out and said he, or I think so, that he said like he he called late for the wets, but. It was raining. Why did they not have the, the tires? You know, you could see. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just doesn't look great. And then going into Monza now next, I don't know how much more Charles can take. But he's he's locked in, isn't he? He's he's what is it, the longest Ferrari contract? Um, bit of talk uh, with uh, Carlos and Audi, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there's sometimes you don't even see them on the coverage because. I think at the start of the season, everyone was saying, what's happened? What's happened? Why are they not doing better? And now it's kind of dropped off. And that's not what you want. You don't want people not talking about you. But that's yeah. kind of what's happening. 100%. Uh, like that's the, the worst possible thing when they're not talking about a team. And, and, and Bernie, that the the fact is they've only three podiums this season. They're fourth in the Constructors' Championship. So you can see why people aren't talking about them as much. But it's going to be tough for them to turn around the season between now and the end. And they just, when you hear, I think it was... Charles came out in one of the interviews this weekend and said they know what's wrong with the car, but they don't think they can fix it by the end of the season. Like that just sounds a bit um, desperate almost. It doesn't. He doesn't sound very hopeful for. They're saying Mons will be better because it suits the characteristics of the car better. So okay, down to circuit characteristic, maybe one race will be better or not. But they don't sound particularly hopeful that they're going to bring an upgrade and turn their year around and. That's a pretty poor situation for a team like Ferrari to be in with the resource behind them. Arguably should have one of the best driver pairings on the grid and they're not fit to really make use of it. And the problem for someone like Leclerc is where do you go? Like, where is the step? Max is pretty rooted in Red Bull and Hamilton likewise in Mercedes. If you want to be a number one driver, you need Ferrari to step up. That's where it has to happen for Leclerc, regardless of the contract. You know, all these drivers and teams of there's always, despite what the contract may say, a potential to wiggle out of it. But you know, maybe even McLaren are fully sorted with Norris, I think. So that there's, it's very, barring Alonso leaving Aston, that's going to be the next position in a reasonably strong team that's available 
for what we can see. And that's why we're discussing that around now, there's generally all the driver market chat. It's not happening this year, but I don't think there is a lot of movement to be had currently. So the Ferrari stuff just seems, they seem a bit lost as a team. And I worry that the solution is going to be just sack someone else at the top of the end of this year and try someone again next year. But that's not making any difference. I don't see to the results. Mm, 100%. And it, it, they just seem like one of those teams that are, there's just a lot of troubles behind the scene. And ironically, they're one of the teams possibly with the, the two drivers on more of an equal footing than than some other teams. It probably leads us nicely into a preview of the uh, prediction time as well for the Italian Grand Prix uh, upcoming this weekend. When you look at last year at Monza, uh, like Ferrari qualified in, in, in first and third, Leclerc first, Verstappen second, Sainz qualified in third. Uh, and then for the race itself, they didn't have a bad weekend at all. Verstappen ultimately wins the race. Leclerc gets second. George Russell in his Mercedes finishes the podium, but you had Sainz in fourth and, and Hamilton in fifth. Um, it's it's always a, a mad weekend, this one as well, and it's always enjoyable. Nadia, how do you how do you see this one going? We usually do a little predictions thing where I kind of keep the keep, okay. the, keep keep tabs of them. But how do you see maybe the <laughs> the podium going? I guess the winner. Uh, you don't get any bonus points for predicting Max as the winner, for example. <laughs> um, how about we have Alonso as the winner? Why not? You know, <laughs> go for it. Go okay. for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe something happens with Max. My prediction last weekend was that George was going to take Max out on the first lap, and we'd have <laughs> we'd have Lando winning and uh, um, Alex on the podium. But would love to see a Lando podium. Would love to see an um, Alex podium. But no, realistically. Um, maybe maybe Alonso, uh, you know, you'd love to see one of the Ferrari drivers up there, but if last week is anything to go by this whole season, it's it's not looking good. It was great to see um, six different teams qualifying at the top last week, so I'd love to yeah. see a mixed-up grid again like that. Um, but no, I'll stick with Alonso, and then let's go Lewis and Lando. Oof. I like I like the look of that podium. Like it, that's the thing. In Monza, sometimes you can get a nice, uh, rare podium. I, I suppose, which is always nice to see. But how do you see it going, Bernie? For podium prediction, let's come back to that. But there's a few <laughs> things um, for Monza going into just as like summary. Mm. There's a lot of talk already about changeable weather conditions. I think we've not had a. Someone said the other day we've not had a dry race since Baku, a fully dry race right. again since Baku. So there's people in the pit lane like desperately looking for just a straightforward weekend um, we've got the alternative tyre allocation again so the guys are doing the qualifying on the hard medium soft if it's not wet um, so there's a few things happening that, that could change it about it's very different track to Zanvoort generally a one stop um, and obviously the tow really important so people that can set up their car for that which is going to be interesting if Williams can keep their straight line speed that they've had in previous races. Can they do well there, given how things is going? Um, oh, I'm just going to not put Max mm-hmm. winning because I just would like to see something different. Um, so I'll say, oh, I'd love to see Alonso win, but I'm not going to say the same as Nadia. So I'm going to say Checo for the win, turn it around. Then I'm going to put Alonso and then I'm going to put Leclerc. And hope the Ferrari can make it happen. Yeah, well, look, the pressure does be on, but then they have that home support as well. You don't know what impact that has, but they seem to, to pull it together. They certainly pulled it together last year at Monza. I'm going to go, I'm also going to leave Max off. We might as well just leave him off. I mean, come on. It's boring otherwise, I think. Um, I have a feeling for, uh, I have a feeling for an Alex Alban podium, which is a random one. 
I'm going to put him third. I'm going to put Leclerc second. And I'm going to agree with you, Bernie. I think I think it could be a big weekend for Checo. Um, now, all of this is probably contingent on Max Verstappen crashing out or, or not, <laughs> having, uh, not finishing the race because the reality is if he finishes the race, he probably wins. Um, but at least it would keep it interesting. Either way, like as you said, to have a bit of changeable weather probably adds a bit of spice. Yeah, I'd love to see Albon on the podium. I think that would be like such a fairy tale story for Williams as well. Be amazing, hundred percent. Well, listen, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure having you both on the the pod this week. We'll no catch up again soon. Um, so thanks, Bernie, for having on. Thanks Thank so you. much. That was great. Brilliant stuff. Thoroughly enjoyed it. That was Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team, and we had Nadia El Ferdusi as well, the travel and lifestyle influencer and Formula One fan as well. That's episode nine of the F1 Pod and Off the Ball in the Books weekly between now and the end of the season on Wednesdays in the F1 Pod podcast feed and the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you again next week to review the Italian Grand Prix. Good luck. The F1 Pod on Off the Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One. Yeah, we go to town on it.